how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. As a kid, Mattson Tomlin felt like he was the last one of his friends to give up on the idea of play. While they were chasing girls or getting into sports, he still wanted to run around in the woods in a Batman costume. Luckily, he discovered that if he made movies, he could inspire his friends to stick around because they had a new reason to play. He then made a career out of this idea. As of 2020, the screenwriter has credits on Jamie Foxx action thriller Project Power for Netflix, with additional credits on upcoming films like Little Fish, Capcom's Mega Man, and the Matt Reeves' new film, The Batman. The description for Project Power reads, When a pill that gives its users unpredictable superpowers for five minutes hits the streets of New Orleans, a teenage dealer with a local cop must team up with an ex-soldier to take down the group responsible for its creation. In this interview, Tomlin discusses what made him start writing 10 screenplays per year. That's right, 10. How the vision of his career changed when he became prolific, what it means to write your way to the table, how to learn confidence of craft, and which writing role he got tattooed on his hand. You can also find the print version of our conversation on the Creative Screenwriting website. For me, it, it came from early childhood, being you know seven, eight, nine years old, and I really loved uh, playing in the woods with my friends. I really loved you know dressing up, putting on a Batman costume, running around the woods, like all of that stuff. And there was a summer, I like to call it my Stand by Me summer, where the the the, the kids that I, I I was friends with and coming up with. Uh, they were all a little bit older than I was, and, and they started to age out of that. They started to get to this place where they they were interested in in sports and starting to get interested in girls. And I just I wasn't quite there, and so I felt like I was losing all of my friends. And I um I realized that I could get them all to start playing again if there was a camera around, because then suddenly it was a project. Then suddenly it was a, a thing to be doing, and there was a reason for it. And once I kind of cracked that, you know, I, I have a deep love of cinema. I have a deep love of, of the history of it. And I have my favorite films that kind of lit my imagination on fire, of course. But 
the the real answer is that a big big part of it for me is that I really loved playing and I didn't want to stop. And so I've I've been really lucky in that you know I've had ups and downs and moments where it felt like my career wasn't going to happen, and then moments where wow, it's all falling in my lap in this great way. But it has all for me been coming from a source of of wanting to keep that that imagination alive. You definitely got a big uh, year or two coming up. Tell us a little bit about like maybe the last decade. I'm just looking at your IMD page. There's a series of shorts, and you're the writer and director on many of those, and you've sold some scripts. What does that look like, and what kind of pushed you for that perseverance? Uh, Ten years ago, I'm a a student at SUNY Purchase in upstate New York. I'm, I'm in the film program. Uh, making lots of short films, trying to get attention, uh, hustling. And I, I, I realized that I didn't have all the skills that I, I needed to really, uh, to really make it. You know, I, I knew how to make stuff, but I didn't really know how the business worked. And a good friend of mine who was teaching uh, ended up saying, you know, you should go to the American Film Institute. You should go to AFI. And so I, I left New York. I graduated. I, I went to AFI for directing. And then I did my time at AFI. And, and AFI really, you know, it's a great school. It, it kicks your teeth in and really shows you what you don't know. And I, I after, after AFI, there was a year of trying to make a movie. And we shot some of it, but then couldn't get money together for the rest of it. And I realized that that dream, that dream of, you know, being able to be Kevin Smith or Robert Rodriguez or Darren Aronofsky and just go make a film and then it goes and wins Sundance and then suddenly you're this big deal director. That dream in some ways is kind of dead because it's it's not the 90s anymore and everybody has the ability to make movies in a way that they didn't back then. So I, I, I had this pretty tough two, three year period where I was out of favors. You know, I, I don't come from a Hollywood family. I grew up in, in, in rural Massachusetts. I don't have those connections. And I, I kind of just had to go, okay, what, what can I do to stay in the game here? I don't think that I have the, the, the resources or the favors to try to make any more movies. And at AFI, there was this saying that they always said, which was, um, write your way to the table. And that proved to be the mantra that really unlocked everything for me. I was not a great writer at the time. This is 2000 or 2014, 2015, but I loved writing. It's just the, the actual act of doing it was really healthy for me. And so writing didn't involve anybody's permission. It didn't involve, you know, getting money together. I could just sit down and do it. And I started writing 10 scripts a year and that became my regimen. And I gave myself permission to be bad. So that first year, eight of those 10 scripts fully didn't work. Bad, bad scripts. Two of them did. And then the following year, maybe it was four or five of them were better. And eventually I ended up meeting my manager, getting hooked up with my agents. And then I start not necessarily selling stuff, but I, I start to get attention. I, you know, 2015, I was on the annual blacklist for the first time. And through 2015 and 2016, it's a uh, this phase of getting brought on to stuff to do a polish or, you know, get, get paid a couple thousand dollars to write out this idea. And it, it really was project power. That was the thing that fully changed my life. I had to choose a moment where 
My life was one thing at one point, and then it looked completely different afterwards. It was the sale of Project Power in, in October of 2017. That was the moment where it was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm actually getting somewhere with this. This is really happening. And then since then, it's, it's been working as a professional writer and getting to be involved in, in big things, small things, getting movies made and, you know, uh, hustling just like all the other writers out here. You never know what's going to hit, what's going to get made. And, and now I'm in this crazy place where I've got a, a movie coming out in a minute. Well, I, I can't skip over 10 scripts a year. So it sounds like uh, you did that for three, <laughs> sure. three, three or four years before you sold uh, the Project Power. What Did you change your approach to like high concept ideas or, or were they, you looking at old IP, like Common Rights IP or how did you kind of start to come up with those different ideas? Uh, I mean, I, the, the first thing that I do, the first thing that I did, I got in the habit of writing down everything. You know, I, I, I have my phone on me at all times, just like everybody does. And I just, I use the notes app. So any little idea, you know, maybe it's a log line or maybe it's just a, a scene idea or a line of dialogue. I just write it down. And I think that people, you know, they have an idea and they think to themselves, oh, I'll remember that for later. And then they do. And so I started to catch everything that I was thinking and then every night I would go home and look at those notes and I would retype them and then start to organize them based on where I thought they belonged. And after doing that for even a couple of weeks, you know, you, you wind up with a hundred pages of little pieces of ideas or, you know, fragments of characters. And that was kind of the basis for it. And, and, and then for me, it was just a matter of going towards what excites me. And uh, for for the first couple of years, it, it was not high concept stuff that was exciting me. It was very weird, uh, you know. Uh, the, the the weirdest of the Cohen brothers is kind of the vein that I was writing in, and that was getting me a lot of attention in Hollywood because I, you know, it was clear that I had a voice. It was clear that you know I I, I understood story at that point, but they weren't real movies. They were they were strong scripts. They were strong pieces of writing. And at a certain point, I realized, you know what, I really have to start thinking about not just writing what excites me, period, but I have to think what really excites me as a real movie that could actually get made. And I love superpowers and superheroes. And, you know, I, I don't agree that comic book is a genre, but, you know, that that sphere of things, and, and, and obviously that's such a large part of what Hollywood makes right now that it became very clear oh, I need to write in that direction. I, I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know how it's going to be, but let me just try. And there were a number of projects that came out of thinking along those lines, and, and Project Power was one of half a dozen that were original superpower or superhero ideas that this one you know, made it all the way to the finish line. What was the original idea? Was it about the pill or the limitations on power? Or how did you kind of, what was the first thing you wrote in your notes? I think that the first thing that I wrote in my notes was actually about Robin. I think that the very first thing was this idea of having this this young black rapper who sells a drug and the drug is special. I didn't know what the drug was. I didn't even necessarily know that it was going to be superpowers at the time. But there there was something just about that character where I felt like, you know, if I'm going to write a big blockbustery action movie, you know, of, of course, you have the characters that are going to be 
the Jamie Foxes and the Joseph Gordon Levitts, but you know, I, I, I really wanted a, a, a fresh spin on it. I really wanted to feel like there was a point of view that we don't normally see in those movies and really have that be the heart of it. And so the, I, I, I guarantee the first thing that was my discovery was the discovery of Robin and realizing this is the character that I'm going to learn about everybody else through her eyes. Um, the pill, the, the pill idea and the superpower stuff that, that came very, very quickly afterwards. Um, and, and then it was just a matter of through many, many, many drafts, you know, drafts, drafts that I was doing on my own and then eventually drafts with the producers and then drafts with the directors and the studio, um, continuing to tweak the mechanics to, to make the movie that we ended up making that's coming out. You think there were, were there other aspects? Let's say you wrote 30 or 40 scripts between your Coen brothers like voice and this film you know, the Coen brothers, when you watch those movies, they could be made on a cheap budget. There are a lot of dialogue and things like that, at least what I'm picturing. Um, did you move, like moving from a low, maybe a low budget type idea to big budget, did you feel like you lost any of your voice or was it like, do you feel like you needed to graduate to where you could sell something that's going to cost a lot of money to make? You know, I, I think that, um, I, I think that it comes from a place of, of having to, find your own confidence. And for, for me, it was this idea of, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to direct this movie. And so it's, it's not going to be in my voice anyway. And even if I were directing the movie, that's why actors have to say the, the lines and they have to make the characters their own and they're going to bring things to the table. So, so this idea of voice, I, I pretty quickly started to let it go and, and kind of started thinking, you know what, if I wrote it, if I believe in it, and if I feel like there's a real heart, well, that that's the voice. Then, then everything else is is going to be worked out through the production process anyway. So just just kind of having the confidence in myself to know that no matter what, as long as I still cared about it, it was all going to be okay. That that kind of became the mandate. And then once once I gave myself permission to think of it like that, it it very quickly became you know I was writing small things big things you know things that took place in one room and, and things that take place in outer space and, and that's that's kind of still where i live today where i i really will be all over the map uh in terms of uh, size and scale and budget is it just the amount of notes you have or, or what what if there's any examples that come to mind of something that didn't work is there anything any reason why you pursued one over the other as far as like writing the full script from it you know i've i've written scripts that you know, I, I get to the end of the first draft and it, it feels pretty dead. You know, it just it doesn't have the sense of fun or it doesn't have the sense of a strong character in it. I think that when when movies when or when screenplays, when my screenplays don't work, it, it has to do with the characters being an idea of a person rather than actually letting them be a person. And I've managed to bring some of those scripts back to life or sometimes the story that I thought I was telling wasn't quite right. And I've had to readjust and, and make some new choices and, and, a, and a big overhaul and a revision. Suddenly it's like, Oh, now it's alive. But I, I, I think that a big part of the answer has to do with characters. And, and also, you know, I, I have the words who cares tattooed on my hand. And for me, who cares is, a, is another way of saying, so what? It's the, the prompt that I ask myself as I'm digging through writing, like trying to strip back the layers to try to find, you know, that raw nerve. You know, if I can find the who cares of an idea, 
then I know that it'll be somewhat universal, somewhat primal. And it'll, if it connects to me in a real who cares kind of way, it'll connect to other people as well. And if it doesn't have that, well, I haven't done my work. I've, I've got to keep working on it and try to find that who cares. It's almost like a, a marketing technique. So you're, you're thinking more about the, literally the type of audience that's going to connect with certain characters. Is that what you related to? Yeah, kind of, but it, not, not even a certain type of audience, just people, you know, it's like there, everybody has a story and we all go through certain kinds of pain and certain kinds of joy in life. We like, there is a human experience that, that we all share one way or another. We all have parents. You know, and so that's why so many movies are about fathers and sons and mothers and daughters it's like that. That is such a primal relationship that everybody can relate to. So it's not that every movie has to be about that, but it's an example of, of why so many movies are about those things. It's because of the who cares. It's because, you know, that's something that everybody can, can get on board with and relate to their own life. Did any, what else maybe changed, um, like big picture ideas changed about your work? So a lot of people would say, you know, the first five minutes are so important, but that's also changed in the last decade or so. A lot of stuff has to happen in the first of your movie. You can't really meander. Um, what are some other aspects that, like maybe the pacing or something like that, that changed about your work during those four years of writing so much? I think confidence of craft. I, I think that there there was a time at the start of that four years where I was maybe more concerned about the rules and more concerned about, you know, what people thought. And I, it's it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's a dumb metaphor, but I, I think it's, it's kind of spot on. You know, I view writing kind of like playing an instrument. And, you know, when you're learning how to play an instrument, you're focusing on technique, you're very methodical, there isn't a lot of soul to it because you're, you're just trying to figure out, well, how does this thing work and how can I make certain sounds out of it? And then at some point you start to achieve proficiency and then eventually you work your way up to mastery so that it, it looks like it's, you know, effortless. And I'm not saying that I'm a master. I'm not saying that it's effortless. It's, it will always be a ton of work, but it's kind of like, okay, I know how to play the instrument now. I understand what a movie is. And so because of that, I can improvise. I can, I can break rules because I understand why I'm breaking the rules. And, and at the end of the day, I think that the only real screenwriting rule is don't be boring. Like, I, you know, everybody says that, but I, I, I've found it over and over and over again to be true, that as long as you're not boring, people will let you get away with anything. Did you, um, for those people, like a lot of people, they might, they might get to the first act, the midpoint, whatever it is, and they get stuck or they fill a plateau or something like that. Do you use the multiple screenplays? Do you kind of bounce back and forth? Like what are some, some other ways you kind of, if you do feel stuck, how do you just keep working for that day? Well, I mean, sometimes I, <laughs> sometimes I give up sometimes on, on, on a certain day, it's, I, this isn't happening today. I'm, I'm going to go watch a movie. I'm going to go read a book. You know, I, I think that giving yourself permission to stop sometimes is super important. I think that the true stripes of professional are the people who know when to give themselves a break and when to push through. And I, I am able to have pretty honest conversations with myself. So there are some days where I go, yeah, it's not happening today and that's okay. And then other days where I go, no, you're sitting down and you're getting to page 45 and that's just how it is. And knowing which day is which 
is a, a skill that I think everybody has to figure out for themselves. Everybody's different. I want to kind of, um, those people who might see the journey as wasteful to some degree, what are just some of the other beneficial ways we may not think of when you think about something like writing 30 or 40 screenplays? Like, do you, is, do you see them just as stepping stones, the ones that don't work? Or do you see that as something you might come back to later? Or how do you kind of view that, that pile of work that's there? There, there's a script that I wrote in 2015. One of the two that was good out of the, the, the 10 where eight didn't work. And that script, no one, no one was going to make it and nobody was, was interested in it. And it sat in a drawer for the, you know, the last five years. And then earlier this year, somebody bought it and now it's on a path to getting made. And that to me said that, you know what, nothing is ever really dead. You know, an an executive that read it back in 2015 remembered it and got to a point where she had the power to, to bring it into her company and the company liked it. So that, there's no such thing as time wasted because on the one hand, things can come back around. Life can be breathed into them by other people. And then also, you know, writing is a skill and you get better at it by doing it. And so I I don't feel like I've ever really wasted time if I'm writing something that while I'm writing it, I believe in it. There are things that I've written that I, even even that's not quite true. You know, I, I there there have been one or two things that I've written that have have been purely jobs, and my heart is not in them. But I'm not somebody who can half-ass it. I'm not somebody who can't give it my all. And so I, it it is the writer's job to figure out a way to care. It's that who cares all over again. You know, even even on jobs where it's not my 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 baby, it's not my dream come true. Uh, you have to put yourself into it. You have to bleed for it. And I think that you only learn how to do that by writing all the time. So, I mean, time gets wasted, sure, if you're looking for an immediate result. Uh, unfortunately, nobody gets an immediate result. And I, I honestly, people shouldn't because it, it takes time. It takes time to learn how to how to do this job. Um, so I, I, I look at my process and I look at everything that I've gone through and uh, I, I get why it took all the steps that it took. And I, and I, I, I wouldn't give those steps up. Do you also, like, like let's say someone uh, listening to this, it takes, it, they spent two years writing a script or, or even longer. Um, I would imagine being prolific also helps you kind of accept the success and failures in more of like a stoic type of way. Is that something you've also kind of found? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I I go through life fully, this is true, I go through life assuming nothing is going to work out. I really, any, you know, Project Power, becoming a movie that, that exists, that's crazy to me. You know, getting getting the opportunity to, to work on some of the, the big movies that I've had the opportunity to work on, crazy to me that that happened because uh, I, I I really kind of go through with this pessimistic view of uh, this is not going to happen. And to even dream it is absurd. And that serves me really, really well because a lot of things don't work out. For every success that I've had, there have literally been 10 failures behind it. And I don't let those failures trip me up. You know, if I get a call that says, you know, this thing that you've worked on for three years isn't happening 
uh, sorry, that's the end of it. Uh, that that hurts and it stings and I, I let it sting as long as it's going to, but I don't let it stop me. And instead I go, yeah, of course it was never going to work out and that's fine because I'm already working on my next five things anyway. So in, in, in some ways it's, it's to say it's, you have to build a thick skin is kind of dismissing what, what it really is. It's, it's more like you have to mm-hmm. resiliency so that you can get back up. And the quicker that you can get back up, the more productive you can keep being. Uh, and, and then you're, you're able to take more shots because you're on the ground more. You see a more, uh, you know, flexibility, like flexible long-term view of things. Like you originally wanted to be kind of a writer director as some of your role models, but like Aaron Sorkin just started directing a few years ago. I mean, do you see it as something that yeah. can kind of come later or is that something you, you also think about? No, di- directing is still a, a huge priority for me. And I, I think that what's nice is that I've, I've, I've managed to, to create a, a kind of incredible career for myself as a writer. And uh, it, it, it lets me to be a little bit more precious. You know, I'm, I'm happy doing the writing. I'm happy being a screenwriter. And at the same time, when the opportunity presents itself to go direct, it's not going to be me just scrounging for any opportunity and then ending up making a terrible movie. Like I'm, I'm going to do it on my terms in a way so that it can, you know, have its best shot at, at being something that's genuinely great. And I, I don't think that I had that maturity five years ago. I think five years ago I would have taken any opportunity whatsoever to direct and, you know, whatever the results may be, like I would have been fine with it. Now I can kind of slow play it a little bit more and and really make it a choice. You mentioned kind of those days where you, you don't quite have it. You take a break and read or watch a movie or something. Are there certain things you turn to or is it like, like are you watching a movie in the same genre? Are you completely abandoning whatever the idea is? <laughs> you know, what, what type of books are you reading or things to, to kind of motivate you as well? Totally, totally. Um, it depends. If I'm, if I'm really in the middle of something... And, you know, like I'm on page 75, I, I will typically go away from it and, you know, watch something that doesn't have anything to do with it. If it's early, if I'm, if I'm outlining or if I'm daydreaming or if it's in the first few pages, I will usually wander my way over to something that's a reference just to keep myself in the vibe and, and you know, see whether or not there are new ideas that can come to me. And then with books, I mean, I, I really just read whatever compels me at, at, at the moment. I, I just went through this whole stint of reading all of um, George Orwell's critical essays. You know, we know him for writing 1984 and Animal Farm, of course, but his essays just rock. Like, he, he is such a great fiction writer, but his nonfiction is so commanding and powerful and he has this incredible, incredible grasp of language. And there's inspiration there, too, to just, you know, look at somebody who, who can really control the English language and go, wow, OK, that's a way to write as well. I need to choose my wor- words more carefully because this is how a master does it. So I, I think that the inspiration can come from er- anywhere, not necessarily the places that you look at and go, OK, my movie is kind of like this movie, so I hope watching it will inspire me further. Some, sometimes you just have to open yourself to inspiration coming from really weird places, music. Sometimes I'll just go listen to music, and, and then something about the emotion of a song will drudge up something for me, and I'll go, OK, now I know what this character should be feeling. 
how do I find that again? Are there any other, you know, we're, we're all kind of home with COVID and, and coping with it in different ways. Are there any other maybe non-writing, non-reading daily practices you kind of look to that help with writing, like, you know, workouts or it's anything, walking, something like that? Totally. I, I work out every day. Um, and that, that for sure, for sure, for sure helps, you know, whether or not it's weight training or running, you know, just getting your body moving is, is critical. Uh, I also play a lot of video games. And it's a tricky one because video games, they are also narrative and they're so engrossing. And there's a way to play video games where you're really focused on the game. And then there's a way to play video games where you're focused on whatever's in your mind. So there will be times where I'll set an alarm for 45 minutes and I'll sit down and I will play something where I'm not involved in story, but it's just purely, you know, Fortnite was a great example. I went through a Fortnite phase and just, okay, all I'm doing is chopping this wood. And if somebody comes up to me, I try to kill them or I build myself a house. And that doesn't involve a level of brain power, especially while I'm not trying to win because I'm not very good at it. It's kind of not the point. Instead, it's more the therapy of I'm going to do something with my hands and I'm going to do something with my eyes, but I'm also going to let my brain just coast. It's, it's a tricky one. I, I don't really want to say that writers, oh, just go play video games because it's, it's, it's a balance and you, you have to be honest with yourself about what you're doing, but it's definitely helped me. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're all going to sure. see Project Power. It's going to be on Netflix. We'll all have that opportunity. Is that script particularly what led to you working on the Batman or just can you give us any logistics there about how you kind of got involved with that? Yeah, they're, they're, they're completely divorced from each other. Um, you know, Project Power was was happening and something that Matt Reeves knew existed because he and I knew each other through some circumstances. But there there's some spoilers to the story not even for the story of, of what happens in Batman, but some some spoilers for, for things that haven't been announced yet and stuff that's to come. So I, uh, I plead the fifth on the rest of it for now.